Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 11. Romans, chapter 11. And I'm going to read and preach verse 11 through verse 16 this evening. These verses are about God's sovereign, wise, and gracious plan of salvation. His sovereign, wise, and gracious plan of salvation that includes both Jews and Gentiles and his plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles is sort of like one of those fascinating trees that you may have seen pictures of or you may have, may have actually seen in a fancy garden. One of those trees with intertwining trunks or interwoven trunks where the two trunks are plated or braided. Maybe you've seen these kinds of trees kind of twisted together or woven together so that it's one tree with two intertwining trunks. That's sort of what God's plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles is like. Two trunks, one tree. And in these verses, Paul's gonna talk about how those two trunks intertwine and interweave as God unfolds his sovereign, wise, and gracious plan of salvation for both, for Jews and Gentiles, for his one elect people, down through time. So let's pray first and then we'll dive in together. Let's pray. God, we remember that you are sovereign, wise, and gracious. And so your plan of salvation is sovereign, wise, and gracious. And we pray that you would open our eyes more to see the wonder of that this evening as we look into these verses together. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 11, reading verse 11 down through verse 16. I remind us that these are the words of God given to us through the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we're going to talk through these verses under two headings. First, trespass, salvation, and jealousy in verse 11, and verses 13 and 14 sort of run parallel to verse 11, so we'll look at those as well. And then secondly, full inclusion and acceptance in verse 12, and we'll also look at verses 15 and 16, which 
similarly run parallel to verse 12. And we'll spend more time on the first point than on the second point. And again, we'll see together God's sovereign, wise, and gracious plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles, his one plan of salvation that includes these two intertwining, interweaving trunks. Paul asks a question at the beginning of verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? And we can understand why he asks this particular question if we think about it, because he's just been talking about how God hardened Israel in their rebellion against him. And so we might wonder, is that it for Israel? Is God done with Israel? Is, is God through with them? Israel stumbled. That imagery refers to them rejecting the gospel. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, which we heard a few verses earlier, which is Christ. But the imagery of them falling refers to them being rejected by God. Rejected in the sense of God being done with them altogether, by God being through with them forever. Sort of like in a balance game. You might stumble, but you can still catch your balance and keep going. But if you fall, you're out. Israel stumbled. Many of them rejected the gospel. But did Israel fall? Are they out? Did God reject all of them? It's similar to the question Paul asked back up in verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? And the answer there is, by no means. Paul essentially says, rather, God has preserved a remnant among his people who were chosen by grace. So that's not it for Israel. God's not done with them. God's not through with them. Because remember, there's a remnant chosen by grace. There's an elect remnant of ethnic Israelites who will put their trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So to use the language of our verse, verse 11, the fact that most of Israel has stumbled doesn't mean that all of Israel has fallen. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, Paul says, because not all of them have fallen. Some of them are part of the remnant who were chosen by grace and preserved by God. But where Paul goes in verse 11 to answer this question is a bit of a different direction than he goes in verse 1. You can see again in verse 11, he says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And here we can begin to see this intertwining in God's plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles. Many of the Jews trespassed. Many of the Jews stumbled. They rejected the gospel. But through that trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to many of the Gentiles. But then through that, Israel is made jealous. And God uses that to save the elect remnant of ethnic Israelites down through time, including in our day and all the way until the day of Christ. I want us to look at at least part of that in action in the book of Acts. So turn back to Acts chapter 13. 
for just a minute. We read this chapter a few weeks ago, but I want to read it again in light of what Paul's saying in Romans 11. Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 44, and I'll read down through verse 52. And keeping in mind the words of Romans 11, that through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So kind of keep those words in mind. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So that's a lot of Gentiles. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And by the way, that's not a good jealousy leading to salvation, like in Romans 11, sadly. It's the same jealousy we heard about, in fact, in chapter 17 that Zach read earlier this evening. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So again, recall Romans 11, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. One more from Acts. Go to the very end, Acts chapter 28. The last chapter of the book. This is where Paul is in Rome under house arrest. And many of the Jews are coming to him to hear him. And let me start reading at verse 23. I'll read almost to the end, down through verse 28. So Acts 28, verse 23. When they, that is the Jews, had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. So there's that elect remnant of ethnic Israelites. But others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
Paul says in Romans 11, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now let's bring in verses 13 and 14, which again run parallel to verse 11. And then we'll think about some application of this before we turn to our second main point. Look at verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So he doesn't apologize to the Jews for his ministry to the Gentiles. Rather, he magnifies his ministry to the Gentiles in order to make his fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. God had given him his ministry to the Gentiles. God had made him an apostle to the Gentiles. In chapter 15, Paul refers to the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And back in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 16 through 18, Paul recounts how the risen Christ had said this to him, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering from you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So he says, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, this ministry that God had given him, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul wanted to make his fellow Jews jealous, not with a sinful jealousy that leads to further rejection of the gospel, but with a holy jealousy that leads to salvation through the gospel. And even though he says, and thus save some of them, of course he knows that he can't save them. Of course he knows that only God can save them. But he's talking about being the instrument in God's hand, the means that God uses to save the elect remnant of ethnic Israelites. He uses similar language in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you turn back there for just a moment, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read that brief section that perhaps has been coming to your mind as I've mentioned this saving some of them, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19, let me read down through verse 23, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Okay, two things here by way of application. Two ways we should respond to the truths of these verses. First of all, let me put it this way. We should embrace, by faith, the sovereignty and the wisdom and the graciousness of God's one plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles. We should embrace, by faith, the sovereignty and the wisdom and the graciousness of God's one plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles. We should embrace the sovereignty of God's plan. This was God's plan all along, from all eternity past. He planned that most of Israel would stumble, but that not all of Israel would fall. He planned that through their trespass, salvation would come to the Gentiles. He planned that that would make Israel jealous. He planned that Paul would be an apostle to the Gentiles. He planned that his ministry would make his fellow Jews jealous and would be one of the means by which the elect remnant of ethnic Jews would be saved. He planned that those two trunks would intertwine exactly as they have into one tree. His plan is sovereign because he is sovereign. And we should embrace the sovereignty of his plan of salvation. We should also embrace the wisdom of God's plan of salvation. God used every ounce of his infinite wisdom when he made this plan. This was the wisest way to bring the most glory to himself and the most good to his people. The plans we make are sometimes foolish or they're just limited because we don't know everything there is to know. But God knows everything. He's foreordained everything. And his plan isn't foolish because he isn't foolish. His plan is wise because he is wise. And we should embrace the wisdom of his plan of salvation. We should embrace also the graciousness of his plan of salvation. The fact that he has a plan of salvation and not just a plan of damnation is itself infinitely gracious. He planned to save the elect remnant of Israel even though they were undeserving. He planned that salvation would come to the Gentiles even though they were undeserving. He planned to save Paul and to make him an apostle though he was undeserving. He planned to save you if you're in Christ even though you were undeserving. His plan is gracious because he is gracious and we should embrace the graciousness of his plan of salvation. Embrace more tightly by faith this evening the sovereignty and the wisdom and the graciousness of his one plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles together.
Secondly, by way of application here, we should desire the salvation of the unsaved. We should desire the salvation of the unsaved. Like Paul, who magnified his ministry in order to make his fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Like Paul, who had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart because they were unsaved. Like Paul, whose heart's desire and prayer to God for them was that they may be saved. So we should desire the salvation of the unsaved. You know, I think if we slow down and consider humbly, one of the reasons we sometimes struggle with evangelism, all of us, is because we don't always desire the salvation of the unsaved as much as we'd like or as much as we should. If a basketball coach notices that his players aren't playing very well, they're not playing with energy, they're not playing with heart, one of the things he might say to them during a timeout is, you've got to want it. You've got to want it. Or if his team loses because they weren't playing with heart, he might say about the other team, they just wanted it more than we did. Sometimes the reason we don't evangelize, if we're honest, is we don't want it as much as we want to want it. We don't desire the salvation of the unsaved as much as we'd like or should. We don't desire it because we desire other things instead. Think about this. We desire other things more, at least in the moment. We want social comfort. We want relational stability in that particular relationship. We want an intact reputation. We want the path of least resistance. We want to avoid saying something weird. We want the approval of the unsaved sometimes more than we want the salvation of the unsaved. And when we find those wants in our heart, we should confess them to God. We should receive his forgiveness by faith. And we should ask him to change our hearts by his grace. So that like Paul, our heart's desire, our prayer to God for them is that they may be saved so that we would want it more, so that we would desire more the salvation of the unsaved. And the stronger the desire, the more frequent and fervent and faithful our evangelism will be. And if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. You're always welcome here. Uh, we're talking about Christians sharing with non-Christians the message of the gospel, which is the main message of the Bible about how we can be saved from our sins and from the judgment of God we all deserve, 
not through our own efforts, but through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Through trusting in his life and death and resurrection fully for our salvation. And I encourage you to talk to someone near you after the service if you have questions about the gospel. Or you can, again, catch me down front here after the service. We would love to hear from you and love to be able to talk to you more about these very important matters. Well, let's look together at our second main point much more briefly. Full inclusion and acceptance. And here I just want you to notice two things. First, what Paul says about elect Jews. And second, what he says about elect Gentiles. So first about elect Jews, the elect remnant of ethnic Israelites, he mentions two things, their full inclusion, that's in verse 12, and then he mentions their acceptance and life from the dead, that's in verse 15. Look at verse 12. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, the world there meaning the Gentiles, And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, parallel statement, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, some understand full inclusion to refer to the conversion of most of the Jews near the end of time. But I think what Paul means here by the phrase full inclusion is not the conversion of most of the Jews near the end of time, but the conversion of a remnant of Jews throughout time. Again, not the conversion of most of the Jews near the end of time, though that would be wonderful, but the conversion of a remnant of Jews all throughout time. From Paul's day up until ours, until the return of Christ. That's the fullness, that's, I believe, the full inclusion Paul's referring to here. Because of the plan of God and because of the power of the gospel, there will always be an elect remnant of ethnic Jews who are being converted to Christ. That was the case in Paul's day, that is the case in our day, and that will be the case until the day Christ returns. There was a remnant in Paul's day. There is a remnant in our day. There will always be a remnant. And all those remnants down through time, taken all together, are what Paul means by their fullness or their full inclusion. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God has not rejected his people whom he chose by grace. God has not rejected his people whom he has kept for himself. All these things we've been reading together in Romans 11. There is a remnant, always has been and always will be, full inclusion. Secondly, Paul refers to their acceptance and life from the dead. Look down at verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Most of Israel was rejected by God. Most of Israel was hardened by God in their rebellion against him. 
But the elect remnant of Israel was accepted by God instead of rejected. And their acceptance means life from the dead. To be accepted by God instead of rejected by God is to have life instead of death. Remember what Paul says in the opening verses of Ephesians 2. Uh, If you turn back there briefly, you can follow along to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. Keeping in mind acceptance from God and life from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were dead in sin, but God made us alive together with Christ. He gave us life from the dead. We deserve to be rejected by God, but through Christ we have been accepted by God and adopted as his sons and daughters. And this is a privilege we share with the elect remnant of ethnic Israelites who are united to Christ by faith just as we are. Paul mentions briefly two illustrations in verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And he seems to be referring to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying that if they were holy, the dough, the root, then their descendants, meaning in this case the elect remnant, is also holy. The whole lump, the branches. And the illustration of the root and the branches extends over into the next section, which we'll come to next Sunday morning, Lord willing. The second thing we should notice, in addition to what Paul says about the elect Jews, is what he says about the elect Gentiles. He says in verse 12 that the trespass and failure of the Jews means riches for the Gentiles. And what riches we have in Christ. God bestows his riches on all who call on him. Romans 10 verse 12. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us. Ephesians 1 7 and 8 tells us. God lavished upon us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 7. God has put on display for us to see 
the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3.8. Though Christ was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We didn't earn our riches. We don't deserve our riches. Christ earned them for us. And he paid our debts, too. And in him, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 1 Peter 1, 4, kept in heaven for us by God. So we have riches in Christ. We also have reconciliation in Christ, which Paul mentions in verse 15. As he said back in Romans 5, verses 10 and 11, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And that message is that all who repent of their sin and believe in his son will be reconciled to God and will receive eternal life. One final thought as we close this evening. God's plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles together Again, is sovereign, wise, and gracious. One tree with two intertwining trunks. Together, we are united to Christ. Together, we have salvation in Christ. Riches from Christ. Reconciliation through Christ. We have acceptance through Christ because he was rejected for us. And we have life from the dead through his life, death, and resurrection. This was God's plan from the beginning. This was not his plan B. This was not even his plan A, which sort of implies that there's a plan B. This was just the plan from all eternity past for our good and for his glory. And it's by the sheer grace of God alone that we are included in his plan of salvation. And we can rest in the sovereignty and the wisdom and the graciousness of his plan. Let's pray together. Our sovereign, wise, and gracious God, we thank you for including us in your plan of salvation. Thank you for the riches we have in Christ and for the reconciliation and acceptance and life from the dead we have in him. Help us to desire more 
the salvation of the unsaved, to see others come to share in those riches by faith. And help each one of us to truly rest in the sovereignty and the wisdom and the graciousness of your plan. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.